pleasure When he says he's a good guy, it's probably a lie It's happily ever slasher The cabin in the woods has a four-star rating But the murder scene will be devastating He's coming on too strong, there might be something wrong It's happily ever slasher, the podcast Welcome to Happily Ever Slasher, the podcast about horror movies and romantic comedies and how much the two actually have in common. We're your hosts. I'm Brooke. And I'm Amanda. Amanda, have you ever thought that maybe you were seeing the world for what it really is and that we're all just being herded like a bunch of sheep? You know what? I think that way all the time. This week, we are diving into the thresholds of our conscious awareness that is right. We are talking subliminal messaging. So grab your disc man and buckle up because you're about to want to buy a bunch of shit you don't actually need because they told you to do it. And if they are really skull-faced aliens, you know we're talking about John Carpenter's They Live. But if they are really two music producers trying to control the youth through wicked awesome punk rock bops, then you know we're talking about Josie and the Pussycats. That is right. This week we are comparing two very different films with eerily similar themes for an episode that is jam-packed with political undertones and also a fucking kick-ass soundtrack. (laughs) So true. So good. Dude, I really want a Big Mac all of a sudden. (laughs) Why am I drinking a Zima? What's happening? (laughs) And the theme this week is how to expose the plots for world domination through mind control and take down the man. And do it with style. We're talking sunglasses. We're talking leopard print cat ears. Or maybe we're all just really being controlled by aliens. We may never know. (laughs) So haunting. So have you ever seen these movies before? I am obsessed with Josie and the Pussycats, I have to say. I am a Josie and the Pussycat super fan from very early on. I literally, I had the soundtrack on CD. I had a poster in my room. Like, I was obsessed with this movie. Um, And I hate to admit I'd never seen They Live before, but I'm so excited we got to watch it because I feel like it was a real hole in my movie-watching repertoire. What about you? Yeah, no, very similarly. I think, you know, I think we've even watched Josie and the Pussycats together a few times. But I love that movie. Amazing soundtrack. I hadn't seen They Live, but I'd heard about it. And it was pretty wild. And yeah. We'll, we'll get into it, but we definitely should have seen it before this week. Yeah, yeah. We are bad uh, movie watchers. And we apparently we did not get the subliminal message that we were supposed <laughs> to have seen this movie. <laughs> All right. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. I came here to chew bubblegum and record a podcast, and I am all out of bubblegum. <laughs> record this damn podcast. <laughs> Josie and the Pussycats is the best movie ever. Join the army. (laughs) You have to say it in the movie phone voice. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Join the army. (laughs) It was released in 2001, directed and written by the creative team-up of Deborah Kaplan and Harry Alphont. 
And they also did another one of my faves, Can't Hardly Wait, which is definitely also a horror movie, so stay tuned. Um, This movie was a box office flop. It actually made those two never do another movie because they were afraid of flopping again. Yeah, so I guess all the tickets I bought didn't do enough. (laughs) (laughs) But luckily for everyone, it is now a cult classic, and rightly so. Let us put some respect on its name. It is fucking awesome. It stars the 2001 trifecta of Rachel Lee Cook, Rosario Dawson, and Tara Reid as the Pussycats. It also has iconic turns by Parker Posey and Alan Cummings as villainous record execs trying to brainwash the kids of America, (laughs) as you do. And lest we not forget the boy band spoof du jour. Spoof du jour. I was like, that's a good name. (laughs) They actually went uncredited in the film. So, like, they're not credited for these fucking killer performances and so let us credit them now they are played by Brecken Meyer, Donald Faison Seth Green and Alexander Martin who I always just thought looked like a store brand Ethan Hawke <laughs> <laughs> but actually he is the grandson of Dean Martin oh wow yeah fun fact also Imagine Dean Martin rolling over in his grave when he sees Alexander. <laughs> What's his last? Is his last name Martin? <laughs> <laughs> they are very, very related. Alexander Martin. He also played the foreign exchange student in Can't Hardly Wait, which was like a like hor like a, just a fucking horrible character. But like in two thousand and whatever, everyone thought it was a riot. And Alex, what's his name? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Dean Martin, Dean Martin was too classy for that shit. I feel like he would have been like, what is this performance? But that's a tangent we can probably delete. (laughs) Keep it, keep it. It is, of course, loosely based, very loosely based on the Archie Comics characters And it is the story of an all-female rock band who catch their big break after a record exec needs a musical act and a scheme for world domination through subliminal messages in pop music. For every band, there is a moment when they know they have made it. For one band, this is not that moment. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You're a great crowd. Okay, girls, we need the lane now. And your shoes. They were three small town girls with big time dreams. Who's a rock star? I am. Who wanted to share their music with the world. We can't sit around here waiting for it to happen. We are musicians. We should be out there playing music. We do play. Nobody believed in them. You know, you suck. (laughs) But they believed in themselves. We're special. (laughs) Now. In a world of tough competition. And that is so sad. Fate is giving the Pussycats the chance of a lifetime. We'd love for you to sign with Mega Records. How am I gonna pull this off? I'm a girl from Riverdale. I'm not a rock star. You gotta believe in yourself. Things are finally going their way. But between the mania. Is that Joseph? 
They're gonna be huge. The managers. We decide everything. What's hot and what's not. Welcome to your party. Who else thinks that Fiona's a freak? And the media. We're gonna be on TRL. Mm-hmm. Yeah! This may be the toughest gig they've ever played. Have you noticed that everything has sort of become all about Josie? Josie. 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 I made you a rock star. Tell me you don't love that. Forget it. You know, I never liked you. No matter what happens, we will always be friends first. Are you gonna kill me with the guitar? You messed with the wrong pussycat. My bad. Josie and the Pussycats. So the movie opens with Du Jour. It is a spot-on spoof of 90s and early 2000s boy bands. Fun fact, Du Jour means of the day in French. So it's basically like they're the like band of the day, which is... Oh, uh, like soup du jour. Yes, soup du jour, which I always just thought meant more soup, which it does not. <laughs> You're like, du jour soup, please. <laughs> Yes, please. Soup du jour. All the soup. <laughs> Alas, I was incorrect all these years. <laughs> I did not do well in high school French. I will tell you that right now. All right, we have Seth Green's character wearing a boa. And you know what? Look at this. Now Harry Styles wears a boa. Du jour walked so One Direction could run. <laughs> wow. Wow. Beautiful. <laughs> I love you, Harry Styles. <laughs> Their song is called Backdoor Lover, which I don't know how this song made it into this PG-13 movie. Oh, that's my favorite thing that happens when like something super inappropriate ends up in a place it shouldn't be. <laughs> when you were young and you saw this movie as like a child, did you understand what that was? I was not thinking about that at all. <laughs> I don't think I paid attention to the lyrics in any of these songs, you know? I think that's what musicians count on when they have children listening to their songs. Like, my nephew sings Cardi B, and I'm like, this is really off, but I'm just going to let it happen because he does not know what he's talking about. Not even the kids' bops version? No, no. Um, so they are boarding a plane after a, like, appearance, and there is turmoil amongst the band... They're all hilarious. Like, these actors are so great. They're also all in Can't Hardly Wait. So I feel like the directors were just, like, really into... Actually, another fun factoid. One of the directors, Deborah Kaplan, was actually married to Brecken Meyer for, like, a long time. They got divorced in 2014. Well, I'm sad to, sad to hear that. So after this fight the band has... They start asking Wyatt, who is Alan Cummings' character, who's their manager. They start asking him about something they heard on their um, album. And it prompts Wyatt to put on a parachute and jump out of the plane, leaving DuJour for dead. <laughs> and then it's like the funniest line for me is when they're like, DuJour means seatbelts. DuJour means crash positions. <laughs> I love it. Oh, man. This movie was so, like, I have not laughed this hard out loud in a very long time. It's just so funny. 
Um, so now we meet the girls and the rest of the characters in a montage that is so early 2000s and amazing. It's so good. I mean, there is there just is no 90s, early 2000s movie without a montage. Gotta love a montage. I find, I think when I was a kid and I used to try to make movies, I just always wrote in a montage or dance sequence. Like, and my friends would be like, wait, what? So we have to do this dance sequence to girls just want to have fun? And I'm like, yeah, no, that's just the characters going to a dance break, obviously. (laughs) And we're only going to feature three seconds of it, but we're going to film it for 30 minutes. Right, I made like one that was, it was like a spy. It was like a movie about spies, but there was a dance montage in the middle of it. I would, I would redo that now with you. We should do it. I wish we still lived together. We could do it right now. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't work as well on Skype. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we meet uh, the three main girls, Josie played by Rachel Lee Cook, Val played by Rosario Dawson, and Melody played by Tara Reid. We also meet Alan M, who's the sexiest guy in Riverdale. Must be a very small town. (laughs) It is. I think that's the point. (laughs) (laughs) Poor guy. So after this, like, montage, we see that they're actually just playing in a bowling alley and not not really making any money. Kids are into boy bands now and, like, not these, like, cool, cool as shit punk rock chicks, which I find that... The reason why I loved this movie so much is, like, this was me. Like, I was... This movie was written for me as a teenager. And, like, like I was, like, the goth kid in the record store who didn't listen to pop music and, like, didn't conform. And, like, they would have thrown me into that van or whatever. <laughs> like, I was just, like, everyone around me was, like, going tanning, listening to, like, NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, like, getting blonde highlights, and, like, I was, like, the girl with, like, the aggressive black eyeshadow with, like, fishnet armbands who was, like, listening to, like, Hole and, you know, so I feel like I really just, like, understood this movie in a way that, like, a lot of people in 2001 didn't, because, like, they were in it, like, they were, like, the other people, and they were, like, what? I don't get it. (laughs) I definitely towed the line. Like, I was definitely... I loved Backstreet Boys, loved Spice Girls, all that stuff. But I also, like, exclusively shopped at Hot Topic and had a pair of those parachute pants. And <laughs> Seether was my ba- my favorite band. So... <laughs> it was a weird choice, like, even for an emo kid. You were well-balanced. You had, like, a multifaceted personality, which I think is important. A well-balanced diet. <laughs> I think a fun fact that I learned is, like, the actors that auditioned for these roles were, like, amazing. I cannot, I love the casting on this so much. Like, I would not have changed a thing. Like, I feel like all three of these are perfect. But they initially were, like, trying to get people that would sing the songs. So they had, like, apparently Zoe Deschanel went out for Josie. She was unknown at the time and they wanted someone known, so they didn't go with her. But, like, I cannot picture her style of singing being Josie. No. And that might have changed her whole career. Like, she wouldn't have been this, like, you know, new <laughs> girl, doe-eyed babe. She would have been, like... <laughs> Imagine in an alternate universe, Zoe Deschanel is, like, like a Juliette Lewis actress. Right. Also, the actresses that went out for Val, Beyonce, 
No. Lefty Lopez. I also read somewhere in a different article that Brandy also tried out for it. Like, okay. But like, I, I love Rosario Dawson. But Left Eye went out for this movie? Honestly, when I read all these names, the only one I was like, okay, I can see that is Left Eye. Like, the rest of them, I'm like, I don't see, the, I don't see their, like, type of singing being Rosario, like, Val's character. Yeah. But Left Eye would have killed it. I feel like Left Eye would have been really good. Yeah. Left Eye would have been awesome. Um, But Val doesn't really sing. Well, no, she does. Never mind. Never mind. Take it back. Take it back. Off the record. (laughs) I mean, even so, like, I can't picture Beyonce playing the bass. Uh, no. Definitely. (laughs) But I can see her in Leopard. That is true. That is a strong point. Um, Also, Maggie Gyllenhaal went out for Josie. But this is, like, a 2001, so I think, is that around, like, secretary time, maybe? <laughs> Sorry. I'm just imagining the the same lead character being in both of those movies. Um, yeah, she was busy. Also, this is, like, hilarious to me. Tara Reid didn't have to audition. <laughs> they just wrote the character for her? They just wanted her, because she was coming off American Pie. But she's the worst actress out of all of them, obviously, by a mile. By, like, a long, by like a football field. <laughs> but she's perfect in this character. She is. She is. But this is, like, the only character she can really play. Yeah. <laughs> Very well. Very well. She's actually my favorite character. She's we'll great. Uh, you're right. That This character is perfect. Perfectly done by her. Probably wouldn't be done as well by anyone else. It's just a riot to me that, like, the objectively worst actress i feel like even tara reed would say yeah out of these three i'm the i'm the worst actress yeah yeah so it's not like an insult to her she's done some great stuff but the one that's like technically the worst actress didn't have to even try to like get the role they were just like please please be in our movie yeah it's like this and sharknado that she can really crush (laughs) that's her range she can go from josie and the pussycats to sharknado She's like, all right, I'm either in a punk rock band or I need a tornado with flying sharks and coming out of it. And that's where I feel safe. <laughs> that's my safe space, shark, sharknadoes. That's where I shine. That's my forte. <laughs> so now in the movie, we see the characters in their life. Alan M's coming over. We can tell Josie has a crush on him, but she's kind of, he's kind of oblivious to her. The three girls live together in this, like, really cute little house. Um, but I think they're obviously, even though this house is amazing and I wish we lived there together, I feel like they're supposed to be, like, not, they don't have any money. They're, like, living in this tiny house with, like, yeah. you know. It's, like, shabby chic, but I'm like, ooh, I wish I had that house. <laughs> yeah. What do rentals look like in Riverdale? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they see the announcement that there was a plane, a plane's gone missing, du jour is gone, and they already released a memorial box set in their honor, and now Wyatt, the record exec, needs to find a new band to pedal shit through the music. So, Wyatt almost hits the girls with his car, pictures them on an album cover, and signs them, like, Songs unheard. Doesn't matter. He doesn't need them to sound good. He's he got does. magic. Yeah. 
I mean, he doesn't even need them to look good because it's all like subliminal messaging. So it really doesn't matter at all. But he does package them up on the album cover and there he's like, this works, which it does work. It works very well. So he sets them off on a plane, a heavily branded plane. It's a Target plane. I think it's a Target. <laughs> a heavily branded plane. Yes. I read that there are 73 brands in this movie. No one got paid. So none of the brands were paid for like using their brands or none of the brands paid. No money was exchanged for these brands. Like they were used for like the plot and effect. There is conversation around like just showing someone all these brands, even if it's like supposed to be social commentary does it still make you want to go to target and then like you're falling for the exact thing that they're satirizing but i think it works because i feel like it's just super meta like it is over the top like you have taken all style out and just turned everything into a brand which i think is the future and it's the now i mean honestly it's now yeah (laughs) it's so true i mean like i can't think about target without not wanting to go to Target. I have to actively stop myself. Like, even in a pandemic sometimes, from going to Target. <laughs> You're like, mask up, time for Target. <laughs> Gotta make a Target run. That's like my worst nightmare. But I do love Target. I feel like, like you would say, I feel like no one says anything else run like you would say, I gotta make a Target run. Like, <laughs> I gotta make a Target run. Not like I gotta make a stop and shop run. I gotta make a Kmart run. Right, no, you have to make a Target run. They make it sound like it's The Walking Dead, and you have to go to Target. And you gotta run there. <laughs> and I don't run, but I would run to Target. Wow, that's scary. Right. Target did not pay for this mention in our podcast. <laughs> we're sponsored by Target. I wish we were sponsored by Target. Target, sponsor us. I'll, I'll peddle Target. Target is like, okay... Someone once asked me, and maybe it was myself, I don't remember, if I had to shop at one store forever, what store would it be? The only store you could go in for the rest of your life, you can only go in one store. Target is the store. Because mm. they have groceries, but also cute clothes. They have everything you could need in a Target. Alcohol, if you go to the right Target. <laughs> if you go to the Target on Route 1. Um, <laughs> I would really miss CVS, though. But yeah, I would choose Target too because they have everything that CVS has. All right, you'd be wearing a lot of generic fleece-lined leggings and like. (laughs) That sounds great. CVS bags of shirts. I don't think they sell (laughs) shirts. You can wrap wrap yourself in a CVS receipt and you'll be fine. (laughs) It's a really cute tube top. (laughs) My summer chic, BPA free. You keep yourself warm by burning your CVS receipts. <laughs> oh, okay. This, this tangent. Anyway, anyway. Shop, shop at Target. <laughs> so the girls get makeovers. Second montage of the movie. Oh, Amazing. Never enough montages. No, never enough. Um, they changed the band. The record company changes the band's name from the Pussycats to Josie and the Pussycats. Which we knew was going to happen because that's the name of the comic book. Um, Parker Posey's Fiona is the head of Mega Records. And she is like the evil villain from the beginning. 
she brings in the government, takes them down to her, like, lair and shows them how they control all the trends in America. Eugene Levy is there. Lights! Hello, I'm Eugene Levy, and yes, I'm an actor. No, I said cappuccino. I'm here to talk to you about something very important. No, it's not about me or my career. I'm here to talk about subliminal messages in rock and roll music. I love Eugene Levy. Pre Shit's Creek by 20 years. Yes, by many moons. Um, so there's subliminal messages in the music to get kids to buy stuff. They use a machine called the Megasound 8000, and it's the voice of Mr. Movie Phone. We always talk about how much we love Mr. Movie Phone. Yeah. I mean, that's just American classic right there. Like, that guy's voice is just lulls America to sleep. <laughs> Which, I guess, is, like, the problem in They Live. It's like, we're all asleep. <laughs> Wake up. So, okay. Let's talk first for a second just about the music, which is amazing. And I have the soundtrack on CD. I think I still have it somewhere in my old CD book, which I saved for no reason because I don't even know where I'd play these CDs. But I think I still have it. You could come with me on a road trip because my car is from the 2000s. <laughs> it's from the early 2000s. I would love a road trip with you anytime, but now I'm sold. <laughs> I also listen to the soundtrack on Spotify fairly regularly. Like, it shows up in, like, my, like, yearly rap and shit, which is kind of embarrassing. That's not embarrassing at all. These songs are amazing. Yeah, when you're, like, top, when you have, like, on the top 20 songs, like, a song from a movie soundtrack from 2001 by a fictional band. (laughs) That's when you know you're a nerd. Yeah. Um, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer musical episode soundtrack also pops up on there. So, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but okay, Buffy musical aside, the soundtrack for Josie and the Pussycats is actually like really good for a number of reasons. Like, they had like a team of people doing this soundtrack. The songs were co written by Counting Crows Adam Duritz, a band called That Dogs. Uh, someone named Anna Waronker. I'm not familiar with her. I think it was produced by Babyface, which is, like, amazing. Yeah. He, like, executive produced the album or whatever. He was, like, he's the reason this album, like, actually did well on the charts. (laughs) Like, it actually did well. Did they play these actually on MTV, we think? I don't remember. I honestly don't remember. But... I know that it, like, the album was something, probably more successful than the movie. I'm a punk rock punk queen, round paper magazine, hotter than you've ever seen, everywhere in between. The singer they got to do Josie's lead vocals, Rachel Lee Cook is lip syncing, is Kay Hanley of Letters to Cleo, which I definitely dragged you to a Letters to Cleo concert mm-hmm. before. <laughs> Yep, at the Paradise. Yeah, and it, she was amazing then. She was amazing in 2001. Um, 
But yeah, so she's doing all the vocals, which might speak to why I'm like obsessed with this album. Yeah. Out of knowledge you just dropped. Yeah. And I strongly recommend if you don't listen to this album, you should, you know, give it a go. Especially if you like, you know, female fronted rock bands or like 90s rock or like pop punk or. You just like yourself. (laughs) Give it a go, go. So now they're they hit number one in a week. They're planning a big stadium concert for them, but in order to hear the music, you have to be wearing cat ears, like, that you have to buy special, which seems very, uh, capitalism. I mean, literally, but I would have bought them. Yeah. When Carson Daly's like, I bought two, I was like, I would buy two. Yeah, and just in case. Yeah, what if one breaks? They have goth kids as, like, the guinea pigs. They're, like, being, like, I don't know what they're doing to these goth kids, but they're, like, being, like, they're, like, conform. Free will is overrated. Which, you know, spoiler alert, they live uses almost the same exact language. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what was your favorite product placement in this movie? Like, what product placement is the first thing you thought of when I just said that? I the target on the the airplane just because it was like oh they're like a moving target, but <laughs> that's good. That was my first thought when Dejour was on the plane. I was like oh that's going down. Oh, <gasps> you are so good at that. <laughs> I definitely did not put that together. I don't know if that's what they intended though. You know. Well, I'm sure they would take credit for it if they heard your genius because that is that makes so much sense. What about you? The McDonald's bathroom. I, when Tara Reed has that fry loofah, I have wanted that loofah forever with the little fries that like help you wash. That is the cutest thing. And I was obsessed with the McDonald's bathroom. Oh, that was so cute. (laughs) So yeah, that what made me think of this is now we're at the scene where Tara Reed is taking a mixed shower. (laughs) (laughs) As a vegan. (laughs) <laughs> is Terry vegan? Oh, no, the character is vegan. No, yeah, no, Mel Because <laughs> she's like, I want a Big Mac. And they're like, Mel, you're vegan. That's true. She was vegan before it was cool. Yep. Um, so she gets like a horror movie-esque message on her mirror when she gets out of the shower that says like, beware of the music. Which I like, you know, as Happily Ever Slasher, we love a horror movie callback oh yeah for sure um another fun fact is apparently um the one of the directors said i read an article that they really wanted the gap to be in this movie because they wanted to do something you know how like the gap maybe you don't remember but like in the early 2000s they had those like everybody in leather everybody in khaki you know they had like these like well, they were, like, going for these, like, super, like, com- like inclusive commercials of, like, people wearing khakis. And, like, they wanted to do an Everybody in Leopard version for, like, this movie. That's amazing. Yeah. But Gap said no. Well, yeah. I don't blame them. They were like, <laughs> movie's going to flop. <laughs> yeah. Target was like, who the fuck cares? Like, <laughs> use the bullseye. We don't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> McDonald's was like, yeah, more McDoubles. Yeah, like, McDonald's like, well, it can't hurt us. Like, I feel like we have bigger problems than this. This is not a PR nightmare. We do not care. <laughs> the 
They should have made those loofahs and sold them. I would have bought one. Maybe they sell them. I wish. I'm going to find one. Um, so, Josie had plans with the L&M, but ditches him because she has to go to her record party. He comes over, and he's like, now she's in a pretty dress. And he's like, oh, she's like, I hate that trope, where it's like, this guy like was oblivious, and then she's in like a low-cut dress. And he's like, oh, actually, now I realize that I like her, actually. And she's like, can you help me with my chain? Yeah. And then it was just like a very like that era moment when she has that weird tattoo thing on her back. I want one. Oh my god, this is the most two thousand one fashion to ever like grace the, grace the screen. I miss it. Oh, like the pleather, the glitter, the low. I don't miss the low cut pants. Those are just not good for anybody. What were like the tri the triangle tankinis? Is that what those are? Like the tops. Yeah, like the tube tops with, like, the point in the front. Yep. One time when I was a teenager, I went to a 4th of July party, and I wore a bandana tied around my bathing suit as, like, a shirt. And I always remembered, like, I wanted to be Tara Reid in this movie. Yeah. I tried to do that, but I was a fat kid, and it didn't fit. (laughs) (laughs) I probably definitely shouldn't have done it. I'm going to tell you that right now. (laughs) So they go to the party. Fiona makes a batshit crazy entrance and sings a song, takes the girls to their her girly room. I love that. It's so funny, but, like, she has, like, children's toys in it. Like, it's, like, a really creepy, like, child's room with, like, dolls. And I feel like it's very str- – like, I feel like this is, like, a very strange segue because she's got, like – She's very self-conscious. She's asking Josie how much she weighs. She's eating, like, one single Pringle and being like, oh, I can't eat this. Yeah. Very, um, I don't know. Like, I feel like we can get to this when it comes in a, in a little bit in the plot. But, like, Wyatt, who's also got self-esteem issues and, like, obviously is the, another one of the bad guys, he's allowed to just be power-hungry, whereas she's made to be, like, Oh, like, I'm so self-conscious and, like, I just want people to like me. And, like, I feel like, why did they have to do that? If I had to say, I think it's because that's how society pushes women and men to act. I think that's very wise. I didn't, I was just pissed and that makes a total sense. (laughs) But maybe I'm giving it too much credit. No, I like, I think you're, I think this movie was super self-aware in a lot of ways. So I would hope they did that on purpose and not just to be funny. Yeah, totally. Um, so we have Wyatt and Val eavesdropping on Val and Melody who are asking questions now and saying like they think something's up. So they're planning to get rid of them. They send them to TRL, <laughs> but it's a fake TRL. They have like cardboard cutouts of all the celebrities, very 2000s nostalgia. Carson Drew, Carson Drew, Carson Drew. I'm watching a lot of Nancy Drew on the CW, which I strongly recommend. Her dad is named Carson Drew, but he's not in this. Carson Daly is in this. <laughs> yeah, Carson Daly is in this. I missed him. <laughs> I forgot he was trying to be a little bit like punk with his like red streaks and his nail polish. Like I never remembered Carson Daly as being alternative. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing, then. It was just, like, it gave you a little bit of edge, you know? 
Yeah. I feel like it felt very forced with Carson Daly, though. Like, I feel like he was too, like, pretty boy, boy bandy to be, to try to do, like, a fallout boy look. Or yeah. He was going through an identity crisis. Yeah. And he was dating, he was dating Tara Reid at the time. So, like, there's a joke in there about, like, how Carson would date Melody if he wasn't part of, like, the evil plan. And, you know, there's, like, a cute interaction. And that was, like, an in-joke because they were actually dating. I think that I love the idea of them being soulmates. And they talk <laughs> about their, their horoscopes in, in the movie. It was a really cute scene. And then it makes you sad that, like, relationships don't work out. <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes you just need to take somebody out with a cardboard cut out of, <laughs> cut out of Matt Damon. <laughs> That's how yeah. I usually end all of my relationships. <laughs> they got damon <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, that was great. Meanwhile, Wyatt tells Josie that she should listen to their new song. She was supposed to go to Alan M's concert, but Wyatt tells her it got canceled. So she listens to the song. They put some subliminal track on it to brainwash her against her friends. When I was a teenager and I saw this movie, my favorite line to quote that I would do all the time was when Josie goes to Melody puppies turn into dogs who get old and then they die <laughs> that really upset me and i relate to mel a lot when she goes to the, <laughs> the like what the pet shop and she's just sitting there looking at puppies oh my god i'm glad i never did it to you then but in college i would say that all the time i don't know why i thought that was hilarious because i like literally watched this movie for years on repeat i don't this was like my favorite movie through all of my teenage years yeah yeah i mean if you said that to 30 year old me i'd be upset but if you said it to like 16 year old me i would have like not spoken to you again so <laughs> some random 20 something comes up to you on the street and is like <laughs> I'd be like, wrong. You're like, who is this bitch? We're going to be best friends in a little while. What? Um, so she drops her portable CD player. Luckily, it's not an MP3. And she like is able to like fuck up the CD so that it malfunctions. And she's able to find out about the subliminal messaging. And... But at this point, Wyatt and Fiona are threatening Val and Melody unless Josie plays the stadium concert. So it's a big to-do. But luckily for everyone, Dujour comes back in the nick of time in full body casts. And there's a joke that they landed their plane in the, in the parking lot of a Metallica concert. So like they didn't die from the plane crash, but they were injured in like a Metallica concert parking lot. <laughs> I always loved that. Me too. And I love when, so Alexander Martin, who I will remember his name this time, was like, I thank God every day I knew the lyrics to Enter Sandman. And I don't know why I love that line so much. <laughs> so they help them defeat Fiona and Wyatt, who actually realized that they're both outcasts themselves. And they knew each other before they got cool. And like before they put on all these like fake, I don't know, 
<laughs> why it's actually albino and wears makeup. And Fiona has not a lip. <laughs> He's also not British. It's not British. I mean, I get putting on a British accent, though. Like, I feel like more people should pretend to be British. Or just, like, like not American. <laughs> no, I would, I would, I fully support if you can do a spot on British accent, come up with a backstory and become British. Well, you know, I can't do British, but you do know I can do Australian. <laughs> and honestly, Australian is right after British in my book. I'm sure other people might reverse them. So, Dujour helps them defeat Wyatt and Fiona, they break the Megatron 8000. And they reveal that the latest product they're trying to sell through the music is Fiona herself. So that people would think she's cool, which is really sad. And that calls back to, like, my problem with, like, why make her so sad? Like, why it's in on this, too? And she's the one that's, like, just wants people to like her. And, like, but you're right. That is something put on women. So that makes a lot of sense. They play the concert. They make everyone take off their cat ears and, you know, listen to their new song and make up their own mind whether they like it. Alan M's there now. He crowd surfs and professes his love for Josie. And they get together. And then he, you know, they kiss. And then he, like, goes on the sidelines and he fucking supports her. And that's amazing. He's, like, jamming out. And, like, I fucking love that. So that <laughs> makes up for a little of the Fiona ship. Yay! Happy ending. And then we listen to the whole credits because the songs are amazing. Yes. And then you start the movie over again. Yeah. And then you just keep watching it on repeat for the next 15 to 20 years. <laughs> um, all right. Fuck, Mary kill, Josie Val Melody. Oh. I'll go first so you can think about it. Okay. I would fuck Josie, marry Val, kill Melody. Oh, okay. So I would fuck Mel. No, sorry. I would fuck Val. I would marry Mel. I would kill Josie. Really? Yeah. You would want to marry Melody. We would have so much fun together. <laughs> you could hang out at pet stores. I mean, she's my brand. I would, yeah, we would have a ton of fun together. I love it. That is surprising, but I love it. That's the thing, is if you actually talk about the actresses, <laughs> right? Like, I would kill Tara Reed, but no offense, Tara. No offense. Um, she doesn't care. She's getting those uh, Sharknado royalty checks. She's fine. Right. That's right. She's good. Yeah. So, They Live. What a movie. They Live is a trippy social commentary on what it was happening in America during the 1980s uh, when it was actually released in 1988. So, John Carpenter wrote and directed this. He also wrote some of the music for it. He is um, amazing. He's a Car Jack Carpenter of all trade. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was commentary directly attacking Reaganomics um, at the time, where the rich just keep getting richer. So our main character, Nada, played by Roddy Piper, which, side note, is such a badass name. He was a wrestler. Yes. Rowdy, 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 Roddy, Roddy. Piper. <laughs> What's interesting is they chose this man who, he actually didn't know who John Carpenter was at all, had never heard of him. 
Um, and it's so interesting because Carpenter picked Kurt Russell for a lot of his characters, for his main characters. I think Kurt Russell would have been badass as the main character in this movie. But I'm yeah. kind of glad it wasn't him because he, like, had that very, very specific... Like, he was Kurt Russell. He wasn't the character, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like the unknown aspect or, like, the actually the super, like, meta aspect of having, like, a wrestler or, like, a... Yeah. Is fun. And, yeah. yeah. So, Nada, played by Roddy Piper, um, is a wanderer looking for his next gig. After discovering a pair of special sunglasses, he starts to see subliminal messaging on TVs and billboards and aliens wandering the streets of Los Angeles. The messaging is supposed to uh, keep the general public asleep and subdued, except for the social elite who are incredibly wealthy humans or incredibly scary skull-faced aliens. But Nada is on a mission to save the human race alongside his accomplice Frank, who is played by the unstoppable Keith David. Insert trailer. What do these things want, and why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. Blinded us to the truth! Take a look. They are safe, as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are, or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me! Put these on. They have us! Look at them! They're everywhere! We have no other choice. I don't like this one bit. Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business, ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance. Listen to what I'm saying to you. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. Control us! You're sending some kind of signals on TV sets. I've got one that can see. Mama don't like tattletales. Now we start spilling some blood. Let's go! Push I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick And I'm all out of bubblegum. And Nada is wandering around Los Angeles looking for a job. He's got his backpack. Um, He's supposed to be depicted as kind of a lost soul, I think. He's clearly struggling. He doesn't seem phased in any way. This is something I love about his character the entire movie. Like, he is rarely phased at the crazy things we're going to describe that happen in this film. But he ends up landing a gig at a nearby construction site where he meets his new friend Frank. They hit things off. Um, Frank invites Nada to go live with him at his commune site. I don't know if they actually ever actually established what it is, but that's what I'm calling it. I feel like it's like it, like an outdoor homeless community. Like it's yeah, yeah. Maybe I love com- that it's it's called Justiceville, which I feel like is important. Yeah, yeah, totally. So there happens to be a TV out playing one night and well the night where he when he arrives and we get our first glance at people who are called the hackers 
who are breaking into the viewers' televisions to tell everyone they're being brainwashed and living in an artificial consciousness that resembles sleep. Yes, and at the same time, we also have, we see a blind street preacher who's saying, like, the same shit the hacker's yeah. saying. So, yeah. like, everyone's being controlled. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of snakes is under their lips. And their mouths are full of bitterness and curses. And in their paths, nothing but ruin and misery. And the fear of God is not before their eyes. Okay, so you have a blind street preacher ranting and a hacker busting through your TV signal. Like, both not the best way to get people's attention or to listen to your message. <laughs> right. Totally. I think that's what's so, what I love about this movie, too, is that Carpenter does a really good job of, like, the people who we think are crazy. He depicts those people as, like, the justice seekers in this movie. Yeah. Um, which is really interesting because it's so easy to then fall into like, well, oh, they're just crazy. So you just write them off. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it's like true in everyday life is like, I think he does this. And then you think about the people that in your life that you see like ranting on the street. I live in New York City, so I see a lot of people ranting on the street. Right. And you're like, wait, are they saying something I should be listening to? Yeah. Totally. I think they do a lot of that in like Black Mirror as well, where you're like just questioning reality and it's yeah. very easy to just kind of live and be a drone in your day to day life. Definitely. So, uh, um, Nada stumbles upon a group of hackers in a meeting where people are talking about the revolution and they're all wearing these weird sunglasses. It's yeah. in a church. It's in like that, it's in like a church across the street from the homeless community. Which is, like, I think it's interesting they put it in a church because it's, like, this church is, like, this, like, religious establishment, but it's actually the front for this underground movement, which is cool. Yeah, it is really cool. Um, but this group of people ends up getting attacked pretty heavily by cops and military. Again, this is just, I think I will continue to note when Nada is just, like, unfazed by chaos throughout this film. He does not give a in this moment um I like, he's like this is not his first rodeo by any means i don't know what this man has seen he is very like he has no backstory so you're just like yeah well, like what has this guy seen like you know they like established that frank has a family and all this stuff but like they never really talk i don't think maybe i'm no. just remembering oh, yeah they never like set up his backstory so you're like he is just like this guy like dropped into i think it's supposed to be la it's a city yeah. Los Angeles and they he says that he's from Colorado when he's like looking for a job but that's all you really know and then he's wearing a wedding ring oh he is know. wearing a wedding ring I didn't yeah. notice that I always forget to look for weddings <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure unless my radar's off but um we can fact but um yeah so they they get attacked by the military and the cops and like now he's starting to question whether or not you know, they're asking this question, like, are you ready to join the, the revolution? Yeah, and they really, like, do a number on this community. Like, they, sure, they, like, bust up the church where, the, like, the hacker is. But, like, then they also just, like, railroad this, like, community for no reason. And fucking destroy the whole thing. Beat up the street preacher and the, the hacker. And, like, just destroy this community so everyone's running for their lives. Yes. 
So this is when things start to get really interesting in the movie. Um, Nada goes back into the church where the hackers were having their revolution and he finds a box. This is where I love movie movie magic because it kicks in a wall. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, obviously, you've got to have Rowdy 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 Viper kick in a wall. It's like somebody released him into an escape room and he's like, I gotta find the stuff. No, they tell you in escape rooms you cannot damage the room. <laughs> oh, that's why I got kicked out. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he finds this box and he takes it um, and it's a box of sunglasses. And again, this man is so stoic. I have a hard time understanding what he's thinking, but I like he hides it in the trash and I think he's like, maybe I'll come back to this. But I... I think we're supposed to assume that he thinks these are worthless. I agree. Um, But so he he accidentally leaves one pair outside the box. He keeps them because they're pretty stylish. And he starts walking around Los Angeles and he decides to throw them on. Sunny. (laughs) He's like, it's sunny. Yeah, it's sunny in California. And this is when he starts to see the world for what it really is. And he starts to kind of like, you know, trip out a little bit. So he's looking around, looking at billboards. There are all these signs that are actually saying, obey, consume, obey, consume, stay asleep. And he takes his sunglasses off. It just looks like a regular advertisement. He puts them back on and it's all this subliminal messaging, basically telling everyone to obey and stay asleep. Yeah, conform. And it's like when he puts them on, it's all black and white, which I think is interesting. It's like black and white, like right and wrong. Obey, stay asleep, conform. Reprodu- I love the marry and reproduce. Yes. Uh, I also, I love that like as from a marketing perspective, because we're both in marketing, I love that like sometimes the ads that are like over the message kind of like the message is like the cta for that like it's like a caribbean cruise or whatever and it's like marry and reproduce under the caribbean cruise ad or like um a computer ad says like obey or like men's fashion says like no independent thought and it's like it's like kind of like the cta like the call to action of like (laughs) the ad Totally. And the commentary is in your face. My favorite was that um, he's at a magazine stand and the man is holding money and the money says, this is your God. Yes. So, I mean, it's it's like very overt political statement. Um, but he sees a man at this magazine stand who's a white man in a suit and through the glasses he sees for the first time one of these skull-faced aliens um, and the guy's kind of like, what are you looking at? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm Prince Philip. What the fuck? Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm just your average prince. <laughs> so he's freaking out, but like not the level that I would be freaking out. And <laughs> that's fair. Same. He is very even keeled for this situation. And you're right. I think you're right that Kurt Russell, I feel like he would have been great in some of these scenes, but I feel like this like the fact that it's not Kurt Russell and that it's this like lesser known guy who's so calm, it kind of adds a more eerie quality to the whole thing. Yeah, totally. And I don't know if that's what they were going for, but I like it. Mm. So he's walking around the city. He's starting to see these aliens, you know, mingling with everyday humans. And he's kind of like, what is going on? And he is at the cash register in this grocery store. And he calls this woman a formaldehyde face. (laughs) 
Uh, Which is really mean, but also she's a skull-faced alien. So she knows she is. Like, that's her, like, she is an alien. Exactly. Um, And whether or not he's just having a really bad trip or if there are aliens everywhere, we'll we'll never know. (laughs) Imagine if that was the real thing. It's like he's just... (laughs) The, the sunglasses are laced with acid and he was actually just on a really fucked up trip. Everyone was normal humans. Totally yeah. different movie. <laughs> totally different movie. He just goes on a rampage for no, no reason. Um, but she signals all the other aliens. She's like, he can see us. He knows I'm a formaldehyde face. <laughs> <laughs> so Nada goes on a total rampage. He kills some alien cops. He's shooting up a bank and he kidnaps a woman all while spouting, like, the most amazing one-liners that apparently were improv No way. The bubblegum yeah. line was improv Yeah. No yes. way. He improv that? Yeah. No way. I don't yeah. believe you. <laughs> That's so crazy. Because, okay, so, like, I had heard that line in pop culture references before, but never had I realized that it was from this movie, which I am fucking ashamed of. I mm-hmm. think we should... T- let's talk about for a second that he kidnaps this woman holly from this parking garage and like i feel like this scene is like just like a regular scene that's like you know he needs to escape he's being chased he needs to get away so he sees this woman and he takes her and he goes in her car like this is such a typical scene in a movie where he just takes this woman because he knows that she is someone that he can control Like, he waits in this parking garage and takes a woman because he knows, like, he can overpower her and use her to get where he needs to go. And then she's obviously, like, I think they portrayed it pretty well in this movie where she's obviously terrified. She lies and says she's married. And he's like, you're lying. And she lives alone, so she's obviously very terrified. And he's like, take me to your house. And and she says, like, I don't want to do that. And he's like, I must insist. And, like, I feel like this is, like, literally a woman is nightmare. Like, this is the nightmare. Yeah. And, like, they gloss over it in a way because all action movies do. Like, woman is an easy person to take and use to your advantage when you need to make a quick getaway. But, like, I feel like it hit extra hard right now. Like, I feel like this hit me watching it now. Like, fuck. Like, this is the shit. Like, you think about that kind of stuff happening, and would you be able to literally knock them out of a window with a wine bottle? I don't know. Right. And, like, I was actually rooting for her when she did that. And, like, I especially, I liked her, I I liked this script, because this is a very common scene to have in a movie, but I did like her responses to him. Like, I don't want to do that, or... um, He's like, put on these glasses and she's like, I'll put them on, but I'm obviously just going to tell you whatever you want to hear. It's, you know, she's like, it's not my way. It's your way. Like you have two guns. You have all the power. Like literally I'll tell you anything you want me to tell you. And she's very honest about those things. And I think that is refreshing. And it's weird. This is 1988 because I feel like that was just like, she's fucking saying the shit that you're thinking like. And then, spoiler alert, when she kills him, I'm kind of like, okay, (laughs) he might have deserved it. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, But she is the assistant program director of the cable news network, which makes her relevant to the plot as well. (laughs) Yes, totally. She's very, she's an interesting character, I think, in general, just because she's also very creepily calm. Um, 
I have to revisit if we talk about the the bubblegum thing again. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, so it was from um Piper and I I had read this and I forgot this and it's amazing. So Carpenter let him include a line from his quips from his wrestling promos. <laughs> so this is one of his I come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum is one of his wrestling promos, which makes this even more amazing. So that is so meta. That is so, like, yeah, so meta. Yeah, it is so meta. He has all these one liners like mama don't like tattletales. And I just think he's so well suited for this role. Anyway, Holly knocks his ass out the window with a wine bottle, which is the only way to knock people out of a window. As long as it's empty, you don't want to waste your wine on. Right. <laughs> I respect her so much for in that moment being like, I'm going to pour myself a drink. Like, I'm thirsty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. She is a badass character. I really enjoyed that actress's portrayal of this character. Yes. So Nada is somehow lives after falling however many stories and... He gets back to the construction site where he was working and he wants to talk to Frank. And Frank is like, rightfully, like, I want absolutely nothing to do with you. You were on the news shooting up a bunch of cops. I'm good. So he goes back to the construction site. Frank's like, no, I'm good on you. And then he goes to find the glasses, gets in the dump truck or dumpster. And he gets in the truck and he gets the, finds the box, but there's only one pair of glasses. And then Frank, being the good man that he is, comes to give Nada some money so that he can survive for a few days. And that's when um, he wants to force Frank to put on these glasses. So this I was not prepared for. I was not prepared for a six-minute fight scene. (laughs) (laughs) And I read online that, like, it is notoriously one of the most ridiculous things in like Carpenter's work so like because the movie didn't really have a good punchline he wanted it to have an actual punching scene <laughs> it, I did read that too that it's like the like one of the longest like yeah. I found myself literally three minutes in maybe saying out loud here sitting alone this seems so unnecessary uh, like okay He's forcing this guy to put on these glasses. The guy's like, no, I don't want to wear the glasses. And it's like, on one hand, you can see, like, he's trying to wake him up and make him see that, like, there's aliens that are going to come and they're trying to, like... But if this guy doesn't want to know and he's, like, fighting for six minutes to be like, I'd rather not know, like, shouldn't you respect that he doesn't want to know? I don't know what the right answer is. Well, like, I feel like I, like, was a little bit, like, after six minutes, like, just let this guy live in the sleep world if that's where he wants to be. Right. Like, Frank doesn't need to come with you. Right. He'd still be, I mean, I guess, like, that's, like, the the existential question. Like, if he didn't wake up, he'd still be alive. But he would he be alive? Like, alive in quotes. Yeah. Like, he'd be asleep. So he wouldn't really be alive. Um, I don't know what the right answer is for this predicament. But I do know that six minutes is a long time to beat someone up or try to, like, force someone to do something. Yeah. It was definitely a long time to watch it. So anyway, he ends up getting the glasses on Frank and Frank sees and then they try to devise a plan for how to try to find more people who also know the truth. 
So they get invited to an exclusive meeting of people who know. And what I think is really cool in this moment is that they've like evolved their technology past the sunglasses to contact lenses. <laughs> now they just need like LASIK. They could like just like laser <laughs> the truth onto their eyeballs and then they wouldn't even have to wear contacts. As someone who's never worn contacts, the fact that they just pop those suckers in, like, standing up, no mirror, I was like, no, nope, no way. I wear contacts, and you can do it if you need to. So, like, I, but although it, I got contacts, it took me, like, a year to learn how to do them appropriately, and they just did them for the first time, I agree. That it, is yeah. bullshit. Yeah. The biggest, most unrealistic thing in this whole movie. Also, you got to wash your hands. That's very dirty. I don't know if I'm speaking from a COVID mind, but, like, you can't just fucking touch. You've been, like, killing a lot of people. Like, you can just touch your eyeballs. You've been rolling around and fighting for six minutes. (laughs) Right. They literally beat the shit out of each other for six long minutes. They can't just touch their eyeballs. It might have been days ago, whatever. (laughs) Um, So... (laughs) They all, in this meeting, they're just, like, getting all of this information. Truly, it sounds like it would be overwhelming if you kind of went to this kind of meeting. Um, the aliens are trying to inhabit the Earth and slowly get rid of humans. And they are basically trying to make everyone feel as though they are asleep. And Holly shows up to this meeting in a very heroic manner. And she apologizes to Nada. And we're like, is there going to be a romance in this movie? And I'm like, really? You're going to try to squeeze a romance into this woman he kidnapped from a parking garage? Okay. Yeah. But. And like, she apologizes. But I, he, he is like, no, nah, that was my bad. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair enough. But, like, I also feel like it's, like, weird to be like, okay, is there going to be, like, a romance? Because, like, I also was like, is this, like, going to be a thing? And I found myself kind of being like, that's cute. And then I'm like, Amanda, what the fuck? That's not cute at all. <laughs> I had a very internal monologue. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so in the midst of this meeting, the aliens come and they attack the meeting. And Frank and Nada are running around. And they end up finding what I'm going to call a wormhole. Because mm. I don't know what else to call it. Yes. Yeah. But it is a hole into... Not another dimension, but, like, another layer. It's, like, an underground layer. Yeah, it's, like, underground tunnels beneath this city that they've created somehow. Yeah. It's honestly pretty pretty awesome. Yeah. I would I would definitely go down there. Definitely. Easier but, to get around. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, this way without the people. Yeah. They are... Just keep in mind, like, they are beaten up in some just very, you know like plaid shirts and they stumble upon a really fancy meeting with aliens and then dun 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 the elite humans who have collaborated with the aliens um to make sure that everybody stays subdued and going back to like the rage reagan era the reagan era the reagan reagan Um, this is all about keeping the rich rich. So their boss is there and is drunk, right? He's drunk. He's either drunk or he's high on like selling out because he's like in on it now. He has like, they not only have they got the human elite, like the upper class people, but they got like 
the regular Joe people, but they got them to like sell out all their people to like be in this club. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Did they give the money? He's wearing a suit. I don't know. 100%. Yeah. I don't know what the salary is. Like if it's like 40K. (laughs) It was the 80s. So yeah. yeah. Who knows? Um, But we just see this like weird, we have this moment where they realize it's not like humans versus aliens. It is like the rich versus like everyone else. And that guy has like a line that's like, we we all sell out every day. Why fight it? Which is like I guess the argument for just letting it take over. I would want to be woken up. Would you? I would want to be woken up. I mean, as the kids say, I want to be woke. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the kids say it like that. <laughs> um. So anyway, they're drunken, high on money. Boss um, gives them a tour of the alien station. And shows them the main communication hub for the aliens. And I would just like to say a few things here. They are clearly not in tuxedos. They don't look rich. And so how is no one on high alert that Nada is in here? He has killed so many aliens at this point. Like, how do they not have, like, a most wanted, like, just bulletin board in this alien station? You know, it was the 80s. Maybe they didn't have time to, like, print up the flyers yet. Like, you know, now we have technology where just, like, digitally send people. But they would have had to make copies, tape them to things. Like, this takes time. They're behind. But they did have wristwatches that let them travel through holes. So, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Something's fishy. And, like, Nada was all in, in the human world. He was all over the television and stuff. So maybe they need a little subliminal messaging down under. Down under. That is true. I think that's a fair point. I feel like they're all, they're both bleeding from the face. Like it's very obvious they shouldn't be there. Yeah. But nobody's paying attention because they're all blinded by diamonds. Money. So they start killing some aliens. Um, They are trying to get to the roof because that's where they heard like the main you know, communication disc is. So on their journey to the roof, which is long and hard, they stumble upon Holly, who has, she looks great. I think she changed outfits. They make it to the roof. Um, Nada is about to try to destroy. They don't all make it to the roof because Holly kills Frank right before they go up there. And I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Forgot to mention Frankie. <laughs> Frankie got shot by Holly. Holly's a bad guy. Yes, she is on the side of the aliens. I'm just saying, maybe if he didn't kidnap her from a parking garage, she wouldn't have taken the alien side. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Or, like, maybe she just really liked her desk job. <laughs> She's like, I have a good uh, 401k. Like, the benefits are good. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if the guy that is, quote, awake is the guy that kidnaps you from the parking garage, I can see being like, okay, maybe the alternative is what I'll go with. Yeah, yeah. You never, yeah, I completely understand that, too. But then Holly is trying to kill Nada. Nada ends up shooting Holly. Yep. And then shoots the alien satellite. It explodes. Voila. But then... Tornada is shot by the aliens in the process as he is saving 
humans, he himself gets shot, and in true not a form, he flips them off one last time right before he dies. Yeah, what a way to go. And then all of the messaging is removed, and the aliens are now exposed for who they truly are, so all of the humans are seeing these aliens. And I love, love, love how they end this movie. <laughs> Me too. It's a woman watching TV and she sees one of them on the news or, you know, all the news anchors are aliens and she looks down and she's having sex with one of them. (laughs) And then in the background, you see, like, the art on her wall actually says marry and reproduce. I agree. I fucking love that as, like, the final scene. Like, it's so true. And he's like, what's wrong, baby? And she's like, fuck. (laughs) She's like, I don't really know how to pick them. And that's how I feel most of the time. Same. <laughs> I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. What do these movies have in common? I think these movies are a companion piece that's not given enough credit. Like, I feel like I did a couple, like, Google searches to see if anyone has talked about this before together. I feel like this isn't talked about enough how, like, compatible these two films are to talk about together. I completely agree. Um, So in terms of things they have in common, I think, you know, let's see, we can go with the most obvious first is subliminal messaging. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, it's all about capitalism and brainwashing. But, yeah. The Riker company is in the pocket of the government to get kids to spend money on new trends, which is Josie and the Pussycats. And then in They Live, we have aliens, you know, teaming up with the human elite, quote unquote, to get in to get people to obey, follow the and follow the rules of society. Totally. And they're telling them like, I think the only difference is like one is telling you what should be cool and where you should spend your money. And the other one is like telling you. No. Telling you also where to spend your money and to spend money because money is God. Yeah, I feel like they're a progression of one another, which and and weirdly, I think like the newer one is leads into the older one. But like, I feel like Josie is like a training wheels version of they live like it's more just like, oh, spend money, you know, do this. And then they live is like, yes, because you need to obey and follow the rules and you know, like, conform, reproduce, be a good citizen, and, like, be a cog in the machine. So, like, I feel like it's, like, they live as, like, an adult Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah. But if you look about it in terms of, like, when they were produced, too, I think it's so much speaks to the time. Like, 1980s, we're talking about Reagan, you know, the, the poor getting poorer, the richer getting richer. And then, like, Josie and the Pussycat. Boy Band Central, MTV. I think something that's interesting, because, like, Reagan for sure, like, John Carpenter fucking hated Reagan. (laughs) Yeah, he really did, and I love it. (laughs) Like, he is, like, very anti-Reagan, which, yes, I also appreciate. But, like, Reagan aside, so Reagan's vice president was George H.W. Bush, who then became president after Reagan, and... I feel like one commonality that, like, it seems maybe a stretch to some people, but I don't actually think so, is, like, Bush presidencies. (laughs) We have 
they live released at the tail end of Reagan. It was right before George H.W. Bush won the election. So, like, tail end of Reagan, right before the election, where the next Republican, his vice president, that's correct, right? He was his vice president. Reagan's vice president was Bush. But George H.W. won the election right after they lived. So that's, like, right where this movie is being injected into society. Whereas Josie and the Pussycats was released very shortly after George W. Bush entered office. So, yeah, so, like, Josie and the Pussycats came out right at the end of a Democratic president at the start of a Republican president. So I feel like both of these are responses to, like, society's, you know, kind of, like, leaning into these Republican political views. Like, responses, like, backlash to these worldviews that are taking place at the time of the movie's releases, which may speak to the fact that they neither did well critically at the time of their release and later have been, like, deemed cult classics. Yeah. I think probably they live more so because that was so in your face. I think Josie and the Pussycat could have been, like, oh, this is, like, a cute teeny bopper, like, movie if you didn't watch it, right? If you just looked up what the movie was about. Um, but They Live was clearly, like, John Carpenter saying, F you, I think. A hundred percent. And one thing I think is super interesting is, because Josie and the Pussycat, I'm not sure what They Live was rated, but I'm going to guess R. But Josie and the Pussycat was PG-13, so I feel like we have this movie where they talk of they comment on capitalism, but they never get into class. Like, you kind of get the idea that Josie and her friends are lower class because they live in this house together and, like, you know, I don't know. Like, you, they kind of try to paint these characters as not being financially well off. Right. But they never really get too deep into it. You just kind of assume. And then once they get into, like, the capitalism and the subliminal messaging they just show all these kids buying this shit they never show the kids that are poor and can't afford to buy the shit totally no you're so right yeah i think they're trying to show that like transformation more drastically for them that they go from like the bottom to the top i guess but but like they live really dives into like the class issue and like the aliens are all upper class the heroes taken down the upper class are the you know like the homeless and like the less the lower classes whereas Joyce and the Pussycats is the same thing it's like they're the lower class taking on the upper class but they don't they don't like like say it straight out it's very implied yeah I think it's it's less about a class struggle and it's more about like it, or the way it's depicted in the film it's less about like a true class struggle and more about like like the media versus the, the person but the media always being like the upper class yeah yeah and I think that just speaks to what each movie was trying to do Josie and the Pussycats was you know a PG-13 movie where They Live was a science fiction movie that was literally like a satire of the like current state of the world and John Carpenter was very um, explicit about what he was trying to do with They Live. Like, he never tried to, like, shade it in secrecy. Like, he was like, no, I fucking hate Reagan. And this is my movie. <laughs> and this is my movie. So, 
Fun fact, though, they were actually both based on comic books. They Live is an adaptation of Ray Nelson's science fiction short story, Eight O'Clock in the Morning, which was originally posted in the 1960s. So he, uh, Carpenter used that as part of his inspiration for the book, or for the movie. That's right. That's right. And that's why I know, like, he adapted it from a couple places, and that's why it's attributed to a writer named Frank Armitage, which is not a real person. Yeah, exactly. So he had an alias, and he he didn't want it to be, like, written and produced and, like, music written and directed by John Carpenter. He was like, how egotistical does that sound? Fucking, it's a boss move, and fucking do it, because you're John Carpenter, who is a, like, genius, and you should do it. Makes me like him more. That's a great commonality between the two. So, yeah, I think that is, like, at the core what they have in common. I think... You know, like we mentioned, both were very, both have become cult classics, but weren't well received when they were released. Um, I think, as is very common in these movies, they depict the main character as being crazy. So nobody believed Josie and nobody believed Nada um, until really like push came to shove. Yeah, I feel like with subliminal messaging and any kind of conspiracy no one believes the person that's like this is a conspiracy because like yeah society says like the street preacher and the hacker they're obviously crazy so you shouldn't believe them and then yeah i and one of my pet peeves is when people don't believe characters so like this is that's a very good point but I don't think it would make a movie or truly like subliminal messaging if people didn't want to stay in a place of blissful ignorance, you know, because then like you can identify with that character because you're like, uh, I would think that they were crazy, too. Yeah, that is totally true. So like another similarity I feel like both have is both are trying, I feel like, I mean, I can't speak to exactly what John Carpenter was trying to do, but I feel like there was some definite feminist undertones in both these movies, obviously with Josie. I mean, Josie and the Pussycats is like, I mean, for the comic book when it came out, I feel like these characters were iconic for feminism. I mean, you have three badass women leading a band and I I remember as a kid I loved I loved seeing the Pussycats. Yeah. Me too. My favorite part is actually when um when they g- walk out into I think it's Times Square and Val is like, "When did it become Josie and the Pussycats?" and Wyatt is like, "Oh, it just has a better ring to it." And all bands are like that. And she's like, what about the Beatles or the Rolling Stones? <laughs> yeah, that is actually a really good point. And I think so, like, I think this is a really good segue because I feel like Val is a really interesting character because in the comic books, Val is the one who's like the brains behind the band. And when they're kind of when Josie apologizes to Val, she's like, "We wouldn't be a band without you. Like you're the one who got me my first guitar and like kept us going." And I think so often um, we find in movies where like the supporting character, the best friend, the second lead is a person of color, whether or not the representation is enough, I don't think so. I think that, like, Val could have easily been the main character in this story, and it would have been much more powerful. 
I think it just speaks to the time that she was a secondary character supporting the main white lead. But I also think the movie could have done more. So, like, obviously the comic book is... I'm not 100% sure when this comic book came out, but I know the Archie characters have been around for a significant amount of time. Um, So, like, obviously representation has gotten better over the years. I would assume by 2001 we'd be more comfortable giving Val her due than this movie does. And I think that is one of the flaws. Like, as I said, I'm a Josie and the Pussycats movie super fan, but I think one of the flaws of this movie is they don't give Val enough due. And that they play into some of the negative stereotypes of the comic books. So, for example, Val in the comic books is known as having a quick temper and... In the movie, they show her reading a book in the beginning that's like 12 Steps to Anger Management or something. And I'm like, why perpetuate this stereotype of like an angry black woman when you don't need to? Val in the movie is not shown ever being angry. Like she's never angry as her, like her character never does anything out of anger. So why make her be reading this book? You don't need to have this quality in this character, even though it was in the comic book's years before i think you're totally right i feel like josie and the pussycats in general as like a group within this comic book that's been brought to life so many times has been like this place where they can play with those comfort zones to a certain extent like it's got undertones of feminism we have a group of women in like um you know a place of pop culture and not power but like you know kind of yeah and in Riverdale the entire group is um women of color right yeah like it's it's just interesting but I don't know anytime that we talk about something that we define as like diversity equity inclusion within our conversations it's like listen like we are not um qualified to talk about this in any kind of educated way I as an individual do not have not studied um depictions of all types of people in all types of cinematography what i do know and what i can observe is acknowledging that this felt a certain way to me watching it as a viewer and the more that i can educate myself on that and have conversations about it i think helps me learn a little bit more and i do know that there are a lot of supporting characters who have been there to check a box to say oh but we had somebody who wasn't white in the movie but all they're doing is supporting that white character and how do we elevate that to to make it a highlight a problem um or something that needs to be talked about yeah i think that was really well said because i think the conversations are important and you know, I think it's it's good to acknowledge we're going to do them imperfectly. We're not going to be perfect in how we talk about this. And I hope anyone listening will feel free to tell us when we say something wrong because we want to learn yeah. how to be better. Um, but everything we say comes out of what we notice. And, you know, please correct us if we're wrong. Yeah. I mean, I definitely am happy to be told I'm wrong. Or like if you notice something different, it's a dialogue, I think. Um, yeah. And these yeah. movies were created to at a time where, like, I think it's great to acknowledge what was happening then, what's happening now, and how we can, like, look ahead. Yeah. And, like, similarly, you know, with They Live, we have 
Keith David in the role of Frank, who is a phenomenal character, but like Val, he is the sidekick. He is the friend of Nada. And, you know, he's definitely helping Nada through this entire movie and literally dies for it in the end. Whether it's good that he was woken up or not, if he wasn't woken up, he would have survived the movie, most likely. But I think John Carpenter's intention with Frank was to make him more than a sidekick. I found a really cool magazine from the 80s that I will link in the show notes because it was cool. It's like the actual, it's on archive.org, which is a great website where you want to see old shit. And it has the actual magazine pages. So it's like you can like flip through the magazine, see the actual like images in the spread. And he says, that he was so impressed with Keith David in The Thing that Mm -hmm. he wrote Frank for him. And he also wanted someone who could, like, go toe-to-toe with Roddy Piper in, like, a fight scene for a million minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And Keith David really is incredible, too. And, I mean, so is Roddy Piper in this movie. It's, like, the only movie I've ever seen him in. But, um... Yeah, I really enjoy the casting in both these in both these movies. Yeah. Um, just to go back to feminism for a second, because I feel like the feminism in Joes and the Pussycats is pretty clear, but I feel like the feminism in They Live is a little bit more understated. And again, like, don't know Carpenter's intention with this. But, like, in my opinion, Holly ends up being a bad guy. But, like, she's kidnapped at gunpoint from a parking garage because she was weak and he knew he could overpower her. And so, like, I feel a little bit like the end is earned. Yeah, it sucks that she was on the team of the aliens, but I almost feel a little bit justified in her being like, fuck you, because of the fact that, like, you took her like that. And I don't know if that's just where my head's at at the moment, or Carpenter intended there to be a little bit subversion like that. But what I think is really interesting, though, is, like, that she kind of uses this damsel in distress character that he's built up for her to like play into the oh well I'm so innocent and I'm so sorry I didn't believe you and then really she's like she's kind of ends up in a power position even though she gets killed by him yeah like she ends up being the bad guy but after how he you know, literally waited in a parking garage for someone who was weak and able to be overpowered by him to take her, to get out of the situation, use her, and put her in a position where she was terrified. Like, I do feel like I didn't blame her in the end where she turned on him because I was like, you know, yeah. Yeah, totally. Exactly. You're like, oh, that makes sense, and... I would rather be asleep than have to be kidnapped by your main splanting ass. Very true. I just wish Frank didn't have to pay the price because I loved Frank. Frank was a really good character. And I also just like someone that kind to see someone on the news killing cops, like, and then to come bring him cash and say, hey, you better take this and go. Like, that's being able to be empathetic. Yeah. And, like, I think it's a little bit ironic. I don't know if ironic is the right word. But, like, in the beginning, you see Nada telling Frank, like, 
oh, you're just going to do the right thing and everything will be fine. And Frank's a little bit more cynical and, like, rightly so. And, like, Frank's, like, out, like, you know, he's trying to protect his family. He's trying to, like, you know, make a living for himself. And, like, then in the end, he actually does, like, put himself out there to bring bring um, Nada money. And, like, and then, <laughs> I, again, like, I don't know. Like, I'm glad he woke him up. But at the same time, like, you really brought him all this trouble he didn't need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The last thing that I think is really important to note what these movies have in common are the accessories. <laughs> yes. I feel like they did such a good job making accessories important in both of these movies. Is it accessories or accessories? I don't know. I just need to know for my own self because I feel like you're right. I say accessories, but I also say a lot of words wrong, so I wouldn't listen to me as like the... <laughs> definitive answer on that you have a boston girl and a southerner on one call who says it rat either way cool sunglasses check cat ears check cool badass outfits check 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 check. i honestly you know what and i love the 90s too anything from like mid 80s to like mid early 2000s great fashion great fashion for movies Oh, all right. So every episode, we're breaking down the lessons we all can learn from watching these two movies together. What did we learn this week? Well, if you want to take down the man, a.k.a. capitalism, accessorizing is key. Right. you got to buy the good accessories <laughs> <laughs> to take down the man. <laughs> um, all those things you've bought online this year... It's probably not your fault, so don't worry about it. You need an air fryer. Joggers are the new yoga pants. <laughs> Sourdough is the new banana bread. <laughs> That's just not true, but I do love banana bread and sourdough. <laughs> I love bread. All right, start watching all the movie critics hate because in 20 years you'll be ahead of the game. Take it from 2001 Amanda, who loved Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> also, buy more bubble gum. You do not want to run out of bubble gum next time you have to kick ass. <laughs> or maybe you do because then apparently that's when you can kick ass. I don't know. I'm a good multitasker. <laughs> I think I could chew bubble gum and kick ass at the same time. <laughs> uh, but last but not least, y'all, think for yourself. Happily Ever Slasher is the best podcast ever. <laughs> oh my gosh. Which of these movies do you think uh, teaches that lesson the best? Uh, I think I am a little partial to Joseph and the Pussycats just because it's one of my favorite movies. And I, I don't have any basis for this answer except for... You know what? I fucking love a musical. Give me a musical soundtrack and I'm more likely to listen to your argument. So I'm going to go with Josie and the Pussycats. But what do you think? Um, I think the only way to combat subliminal messaging is being incredibly explicit. So the fact that in Josie and the Pussycats, she literally says, think for yourself. I think that, you know, that really helps me think for myself when people tell me to do it. (laughs) And not in subliminal messaging under the right. music. You need to be told straight out, I getcha. 
Yep. All right. So that's that. We both agree. Josie and the Pussycats teaches us about capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) We're really biased. I think that we should. John Carpenter would be very upset right now. I know. know. I mean, I feel like this was hard. And it was a hard decision that I literally used the tiebreaker of, I fucking love this soundtrack, so I'm going to pick Josie and the Pussycats. But They Live is a strong... A strong argument in a strong film that I am so glad we watched this week because I really enjoyed watching it. I think I'm going to watch it again tonight. Speaking <laughs> <laughs> of side note, we never, talked about <laughs> we never talked about which song is your favorite in Dozy and the Pussycats. Oh, this is hard for me because I love them all and I honestly don't know. But I would say I know three small words and pretend to be nice, get all the hype. But I'm going to say I really like Shapeshifter, I Wish You Well, and Spin Around. Mm. What about you? I'm going to have to go with Backdoor Lover. (laughs) (laughs) I almost, like, thought you would say that. (laughs) I really love that song so much. It's catchy as hell. I don't blame you. I I, I definitely can see the appeal. Backdoor Lover. Yeah, dude, it's good. (laughs) (laughs) There's really no bad songs on the soundtrack. (laughs) All right, that's all we have for today. If you liked this episode, please rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. For more Happily Ever Slasher, you can find us at happilyeverslasher.com or on Instagram at happilyeverslasher. Until next time, I'm Amanda. And I'm Brooke. And remember, all's fair in love. And gore.